So what I was hoping today is to fit in one more Hanukkah share. I hope oh, you don't good. mind. It's sort of yeah, irresistible, it. and it makes yeah. it so nice for me to prepare. <laughs> like, <laughs> so Thank you. last week we talked about Baruch Merachem al Haaretz, Baruch Merachem al Habrios. And today I want to talk about Baruch Mishalem Sachar Tov Liriyav. Blessed is Hashem who pays a good reward to those who fear him. Uh, Sachar is an interesting word, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. I don't know that I have it here, but um, I kind of remember seeing elsewhere. I think Rav Hirsch says that Sachar is payment that's, it's not, it doesn't mean profit per se. It actually means like paying someone back for their expense so they don't take a loss. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't seen her. Um, so, Baruch Mishalim Sachar Tov Lireav. Hashem pays good payment to those who fear him. Baruch Chai Lo'ad. Blessed is he who lives, for, uh, lives forever. Bekayam Lanetzach and exists forever. Okay, so first, Baruch Mishalim Sachar Tov Lireav. Um, Abu Darham says, what is Sachar Tov? A good reward. I mean, it, should, it seems like it would be enough to say, Baruch Mishalim Sachar Lireyav. Hashem pays Sachar to those who have awe of him. Why, why Sachar Tov? So what he's saying is that it's Sachar Tov. We've had this idea only. We've seen it with bad. Like where we've said, Hashem, please give us something, but it should only be the good. There could be a bad version of the same thing. So a bad version of Sakhar would be, for example, someone who's a Russia, but even a Russia does some things that are good. Maybe he says hello nicely to somebody sometimes. Or maybe when he was hurting one person, he was doing a favor to somebody else at the same time. Right? Could be. Not even on purpose. So he still deserves, you know, we talk about every single thing we do matters. So every single thing he does matters. And Hashem's going to reward him also for that which he did that was also good. But maybe he did it meaning to be bad. Or maybe he did it meaning to hurt somebody. Or maybe he did he had no idea, you know. He, he mugs somebody in the street, shoots him in the head, leaves him for dead, grabs his wallet and runs. And when he runs away with the wallet, $5 falls out of the wallet onto the floor. And some poor person who's really hungry finds his $5 and takes it and buys food to eat. Okay? So he's going to get some kind of reward. But he's not even doing it on purpose, right? Not even stealing from the rich to give to the poor. Right. He's stealing from somebody. And by the way, the money fell. And by the way, somebody found But still, right? He has a merit. Okay. So it's possible that Hashem would reward him in this world. In order not to reward him in the next world. That's not a good reward. Okay, it's, it's fair. It's fitting. But it's not really a good kind of reward. Because it's temporary. However big the reward comes out. And by the way, they look huge. These kinds of rewards look huge in this world. You know, you see these people who are so bad. And they have so much money. Like crazy amounts of money. Or they have crazy amounts of, of, I don't know, fun or vacations or like, and it's just so like, how is that possible? But because when you take something that's an eternal reward and you package it down, you say, you know what? It doesn't deserve to be eternal because like what this person, this, everything about it was missing the whole Kavana. It was a purely physical thing. 
There was no spiritual side behind it to give it <coughs> eternal, eternal quality. So it's going to only be in this world. Like you realize what such a tiny drop of the next world can, is so huge in this world. Right? We have that idea, like one minute right, of, the next, of the pleasure of the next world is not all the pleasures of this world that every person has experienced in every generation put together. And you wouldn't get a minute or an hour in the next world of the pleasure. So it does tend to look really huge over here, but that's just because that's the nature of schar. It's actually really huge. Okay, so that would be an example of a bad reward because now this person doesn't have something that would give them an eternal existence in the next world is missing for them. Well, it's not really missing because they never created it. They never earned it. But they, they don't have it, and they don't have it because they never put it there. Avalireyav, but to those who have awe of Hashem, Mishalim sachar tov. Hashem pays good reward, nitzchi, eternal, be'olam haba, in the next world. Kidichtiv, as the Pasuk says, Marav tufcha asher tzafanta lireyacha. How great is your good, this is from Tehillim, which you have hidden away or saved away for those who have awe of you. As we say, Hashem, how good, that, that idea of tuv, <coughs> marav tuvcha, the goodness that's put away in the future for those who have fear of God. That's what good means. Good is something that's forever, and it's something that's, that's there as a reward that's, that's everlasting. That's why we say, right, people say, Hashem should fulfill all your wishes for the good. Right? Hashem should fulfill whatever we want for good. We don't want to have things fulfilled for bad. No matter how badly we want them. It's, it's our ignorance. Right? So we, what we want is that it should be fulfilled for the good. Okay. And the reward for mitzvahs is not in this world. Sakhar in this world, if it isn't going to be the bad kind of sakhar, it's just going to be repayment. So a person spent a lot of money on charity, so I should pay them back. Right? You keep providing. That's not the reward. That's just like reimbursement. You know, you shouldn't be out of pocket. So he's providing what you need in order to do it. Fine. But that's not the reward for it. All right. Rav Schwab makes a distinction over here, which is similar to what the Abu Daham was pointing to. He says, Sakhartov means it's everlasting and continuing. So you can, one thing that's leading here is the understanding of why we would go from Baruch Mishalim Sachar Tov and move from there to Baruch Chai La'ad V'Kayam Lanetzach, that Hashem Himself is eternal. He pays an eternal reward. He Himself is everlasting. It's just a reminder. It, it, it puts it together, meaning that those ideas flow together because only someone who really is around forever can be there to pay you forever. Okay. So if a person attaches his will to Hashem's will, and I'm going to show you at least a foundation for this concept that Rav Schwab says. But what he says is, if a person attaches his will to Hashem's will, right? that's what it says in Pirkei Avos, make Hashem's will your will. Okay, that's not an easy thing to do. It's an avoda. It can be done, but it's an avoda and takes a lot of work. Then the reward will last forever. If you can make your will match up to God's will, there's an outcome and a positive reward for that that's forever and ever. Now, this is a topic that we touch on more when we get to Shemona Esrei, because that's really the avoda in Shemona Esrei to a great extent, is making Hashem's will our own will. So that's like not so much for today, but I'll just point out 
that are great, that one of the major facets of, in which Tzalem Elohim is seen in a person, the idea that a person has a godly force or spark inside of him is visible through his ratzon, through his will, through his free will especially, but through his will. So when your will then becomes matched up and a part of God's will, you can see why there would be something created that would last forever. Right? Because Hashem is chai lo'ad v'kayim lanetzach. And now you're making at least some part of yourself chai lo'ad v'kayim lanetzach intentionally. So the reward that comes out from that is chai lo'ad v'kayim lanetzach. Okay. And this is, again, an aspect of, we said all of these are ten statements that are aspects of Hashem's shem havaya, his name of haya hovayihia. He was, he is, he always will be. He is the loving, eternal creator of the world. Okay. I just, I think there's like a certain message here, aside from like the more obvious messages. There's something that we can take away from this though, which is, we spoke last week about Baruch, or not last week, two weeks ago, Baruch Gozer Umekayim. Hashem is Gozer, which is sort of like, we can read it as the positive, but it's certainly talking about things that are more difficult, okay? And only afterward we say, but there's Merachim al Haaretz, Merachim al Habrios, and then Mishalim Sachar Tovli Reav. There's kind of a process there, right? You hear there's like the sort of like the, whether it's the punishment or the pressure or the difficulties first, and then there's the concept that's like the din, and then there's the Rachmanos, right? Which is din where now there's space for imperfection, at least for a certain amount of time. And then there's the end, which is Sachar Tolerev, something that's eternal, that's the reward, and that's good. I think that by itself paints a certain picture in our Baruch Shamar. Just that the flow of those ideas, one after the other, is helpful. And it helps to remind us also that the Gozer Umekayim is on the way to Merachim al Haaretz, Merachim al Habrios, is on the way to Mishalim Sachar Tolerev. Right? One leads to the next, and they really do lead to the next. That was that idea of punishment as a tikkun, as a correction to help us get back on track. Okay. Baruch Hashem lives forever. Hashem exists forever. V'kayam and remains or stands or exists forever. Okay. So it sort of sounds like it was a repetition. Chai <laughs> and kayam lanetzach, what's the difference? So chai Chayim suggests change. Okay, we always talk about life and change. Now, God is infinite. So the Chay Lo'ad relates to Hashem as the source of life in all the finite world. Lo'ad, that kind of forever, is, it doesn't mean forever and ever and ever in eternity. Forever of Lo'ad is forever till the end of the world. Yeah, it's not it's not forever and ever and ever, but it's through the whole end of the world. Ad means like until. Like <laughs> so until there's an, an until that long. That's Chaila Ad. Kayam, Kayam is stability, it's unchanging. Yeah, this is something we're gonna talk about a little bit more at the end when we get to Yahid Kheha Olamim. But Kiyum is means like staying in a certain state of existence. 
That is an unchanging state of existence. That is, excuse me, that's forever and ever and ever. That's time that is beyond time. Okay, that's the way the Malbim puts it. It's Hasman Asher Hulamalaman Hasman. Time that is above all time. Okay, that's, that's the actual like forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And when time would cease, you know, it'd still be forever. Okay, so that's Kayam Lanetzach. Okay. So La'ad is forever in this world. And that has the element of change. And Kayam Lonetzach is a relationship with God that exists forever and ever and is unchanging. The way the Malbim puts it is our spiritual relationship with Hashem has two parts to it. There's what we put into it, and that is expressed in the La'ad. That's during our lives, that's through our change. And there's a side that's mitzaratzmo from Hashem's side. That's kayim lanetzach. That's always and that's forever. It doesn't change. You're saying that la'ad is what we put into it? He says that, that it's somehow like our side of the equation, our side of the relationship, mm-hmm. right? The relationship itself is forever because, as he says, the bori yisbarach and the neshama are forever. Hashem is forever and our Hashem is forever, right? But what we contribute to the relationship is the Chai La'ad side. And what Hashem contributes to the relationship is the Kayim Lanetzach side. Because our relationship to Hashem is affected by what we do during the time that we're alive. In the next world, we're also part of a relationship. But the, the ability to contribute into it is, tends to be limited by what we've left behind, right? So when we do something in memory of... Right? It should be an aliyah neshama for somebody who's gone. That's literally because I'm doing something that if not for the fact that that person lived, I might not be doing it. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm giving this tzedakah, right? like a neyizkar, I'm giving tzedakah that it should be an aliyah neshama for the person that actually causes an aliyah to their neshama, but they can't do that on their own. Right? Because that's a function of chaylat. Okay. So I, what I wanted to do was, because I was looking for the chance to do another Hanukkah piece. There's two pieces to this, because these are sort of the sources that go to that, and then... Oh, I thought I had more. Oh, they are more copies. They're just double-sided. Okay. Doesn't seem like very much. Okay, what I wanted to do was talk about this idea of change in this world versus perfection of the next world and how it relates to Hanukkah. So to start with that, I want to use, I want to first start with a concept in Beratius, which we have talked about before. We don't have to spend tons of time on it. Vayar elokim es haor kitov. Okay, first of all, obviously Hanukkah light, you go, oh, Hanukkah light, right? Yavan is related to dark. I want to like throw those out there because that's not the main part of the Hanukkah thing we're going to talk about, but it's definitely an underlying factor here to understanding why this lesson of Or and Choshech and how that relates to change versus eternal state. And this relate this is this concept of Sachar Tov, right? We said Sachar Tov, Baruch Mashalim Sachar Tov. Tov is because it lasts forever and ever, right? A reward in this world that's the actual reward for the mitzvah, that's not such a great thing. 
If it's just, you know, reimbursement for expenses out of pocket, that's fine. But reward in this world, right, that, that make our Avos used to worry about that. Right, you see that, Avram, Yaakov, right? Is that Jewish guilt? No. <laughs> you know, no, that's, no. <laughs> that's realistic. That's like, I, I haven't right, been perfect, right. and I have so much good. Is it possible that what I've been given is a reward? That wouldn't be so good. To me, that's, that's that wouldn't really be so good. <laughs> okay? If it's encouragement, if it's giving me the tools I need to do the job I need to right. do, which is really what, what Yaakov ended up answering Asaph, who said, what, what is going on here? I thought, I get the physical world, you get the spiritual world. Who are all these wives? Who are all these children? Who are all these servants? Who's all this cattle? Right? And he says, no, God gave this to me in order to serve him. That's, uh, that had nothing to do with reward in this world. Okay. Hashem saw the light that it was good. And God separated between the light and between the dark. Rashi says, and we just had this Rashi also, I think, last week. We need the words of the Agadita from the Chazal to explain this to us. Hashem saw it, meaning the light. That it was not worthwhile, it was not suitable. For Rishayim to make use of it, vehivdilo, vehivdilo. We had the same. I can't believe I didn't fix it a lot. Okay, it's vehivdilo, not vehivdilu. Vehivdilo, and he separated it. Litzadikim laosid lavo for the righteous in the future to come. Okay, let's just stop there. I should have made it in bold, but that's that's as far as we're going here. Okay, so Hashem created light. This light was vayar elokimis haorkitov. God saw the light was good. And because he saw the light was good, he then put it away. That's maybe not what you expected to hear. You might think Hashem saw the light was good and kept it. But instead, Hashem saw the light was good and he put it in a safe deposit box. And said, we're going to save this for the future. Now again, having in the back of our mind already this idea that tov, as haor ki tov, that the tov has a kind of lastingness to it. Yeah, a per, it's a perf, some kind of perfection to it, some kind of lastingness to it. We could start to get an inkling as to where that might go. That the light is good, and therefore it will be set aside for asid lavo, for the future to come, which is a time of good, right? Right, a day that is all good. That's in the future. Okay, so let's look at the Ramban. The Ramban first quotes, the first paragraph there, let's just, we'll just skip through that. Ramban first quotes the Rashi, and then he quotes the Ibn Ezra. And then he says, He does not feel comfortable with the interpretations of Rashi and Ibn Ezra for, two, for a specific reason. She'im came, because if so, it would seem that you could read the Pasuk, like as if, as if there's new information that God received here, which is not a way that we could understand Hashem. He's okay. I'm not saying that's what Rashi is saying. He's saying if we are going to read this according to Rashi and Ibn Ezra, you could come away with the wrong idea. What would be the wrong idea? ki elokim or. God said, let there be light. Vehaya or, and then there was light. Ra'aoso kitovu, and he saw it was good. Okay, you mix up a new recipe for a cake. You put it in the oven. You open it up. Vehin vayar kitov, and you see. Oh look, it's so good. 
Like, like that's a surprise. You didn't know what it was going to look like. Okay, okay, so God bakes up this light. Oh, look, it's good. And therefore, meaning he wasn't going to divide between the light and the dark, but since he saw that it came out so good, therefore, okay, he says, hey, that's not right. That, you can't read the Pasuk that way. As if it was a person, who doesn't know the nature of the thing until it actually exists. Right? He's building something, but he doesn't know how it's going to come out. He says, you got to understand the way the words are used in my sabracious. The way it goes when it comes to creation, these, these definitions here are useful throughout Torah. It's not just my sabracious, okay? To understand the fundamental concepts. Bringing something, el hapoal, from potential into actuation, yikra amira, is called speech by God. When God speaks, that is the taking of something from its potential into reality. The creation of it. It becomes real. This is why later in Shmos, right, you have Hashem says, oh, Chaval, Rashi quotes it, I think, in Va'ira. Chaval al da'avdim l'mishtachim. Kind of missed the avos, Hashem says. Why? Because the avos, they didn't, shmi Hashem lo nadati lahem. They didn't know, they didn't see me fulfilling all my promises to them. But it never occurred to them that that was a problem. Mm-hmm. Why? Because God said it. He said the promise. Once he said it, what does it mean when God says something? That is already hotzaz hadavar el hapoal. That already makes the thing activated. So the fact that they didn't see how it came out didn't phase them at all. It didn't even occur to them that that was an issue. Because if God said it, it is the reality already. Okay? That's what, that's this Ramah. Vayomer Elohim or. When God says, there will be light, or there's light. <laughs> that, that's what Amira means. Okay. The Kiyumam, right, we have the Kayom Lanetzach, Kiyumam, the maintaining of them, in other words, not just making it exist, but making it keep on existing in an ongoing fashion. Yikra is called in the Torah with reference to God, re'iya, seeing it. Vayar Elohim es ha'or kito. If God saw the light, that means he had created it. The seeing of it is the constant maintenance and keeping it existing. That's called by God seeing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what is all this? Lahoros to teach. Ki amidasam bechefzo v'im hechafetz yispari regamehem yiyulayin. What this tells us is, everything in the world exists in accordance with God's will. If something would be separated or out of consciousness, so to speak, of God, for even a moment, it would not exist. <clears throat> it would become, it's opposite of yesh, existing, ayin, non-existent. Okay? That is what that boils down to. That God said, let there be light, right? Amira, that's the creation of it that makes it become actualized. It activates it. But the kiyom of it, the keeping it going, that's the sight of it. You start to understand the power of a pasuk where Hashem says about Eretz Yisrael that his eye is always upon it. Right? 
That's it. <laughs> right? It doesn't, obviously, everything in the world, apparently God is seeing it or it wouldn't keep existing, right? But there's the stuff you're focused on, and then there's the stuff that's still in your peripheral vision, and you can still see it. Okay? It's all there because, right, I think, therefore, I am. So, like, by Jews, it's like, I think, therefore, I'm thought of. <laughs> okay? By definition. Okay. And by each thing, each thing that was created in every day of creation, God saw that it was good. So we've got to Vayomer, right? And Vayar, but we didn't say what's the Kitov. Each day of creation, Hashem says it's good. And he already said, he rejects the idea, Ramban, that you could say, oh, that this was like he saw that it was good, by the way. So what is the goodness when he sees that it's good? This is, for example, how he said, on the first day, when there was light, Hashem saw it was good. What that means is, the state of seeing that something is tov means that that thing is now in a state where Hashem wishes to maintain it that way forever. Okay? Say it again. When something has reached a state that when God looks, when God looks at it, he's mekayimit. When God looks at it and sees tov, it is now in a state that Hashem is going to be mekayimit that way forever. It has reached its, I don't know what you call it. Potential. It, it, it totally fulfilled its potential. Okay? No, so there are, places in, yeah, <laughs> there are places in Bereshis, and he talks about, I, I left out some parts of the Sermon, but he talks about there's places in Bereshis where things are created and they're not fully formed in the way that he's going to keep them. Lo'ad, we said, I, I don't know if Ramban is for sure using Lo'ad in the same way that we just defined it, but it could be. Okay, where Lo'ad is the way that something is going to be kept forever, at least till the end of the world, till the end of the universe. Okay, that's the way he created it to be. There are things he says in the beginning by Bre- when it says Hashem saw the light and it was good. It doesn't say there were other things created the first day, Shemaim Va'aretz. But the Kitov doesn't refer back to them. Why not? Because the Shemaim and Aretz were not yet in the state that, we w- that Ramban would define them as Tov. Okay, in the way he's reading the words of the Torah. Because they still had a process to go through before they reached that. Yeah? Okay, so this is Jewish evolution, right? Okay. Things are created, God created things, with a process, except the light, when God created it, it was good, immediately. The way he created it was already in that state. Okay, but, some of it he but because it was in that state, then he held back, okay. So because of what it happened, that's why it's one verse. The, the, the take off of that is, yes, except the rest of the world now, okay? It always makes sense, because with creation in general, you see the beginning point is the end point. It's circular. You come back around to where you started, only you've changed along the way. We've talked about this many times, mm-hmm. right? You get back to where you started, except now you're different. Okay, so the world began with this kind of perfection. Then Hashem said, I'm going to put it away for the future. He says, this isn't the darkness of uh, the world was dark and deep, right? This is, that's not that darkness. That which is a fiery dart. I don't know. Aval hu afisa saor. It's a it's a negative light, meaning the absence of light. 
That's the kind of darkness that it's talking about over here. When the sun is hidden from us and it gets very dark, right? So that's an absence of light, that kind of dark. What Hashem did was he put a limitation on the light. And it will be hidden until then it will return. But so Hashem said, this is perfect. Light, and that's different than darkness. Yeah, he says that's a different thing. Okay. No, over here, this darkness in this pasuk is talking about the absence of light. There's a different kind of darkness that's a reality of its own. This is called an absence of light. That's, that's how Ramban holds on okay. this verse. Okay? And therefore, the world started with light that was perfect. Hashem put it away and said, there's going to be light and absence of light until the future. And in the future, then we'll have the light back again. Okay, so now let's look at the Pachad Yitzchak. Sorry. Oh. Oh. Yeah, that's this one. Okay. <coughs> okay. So this is Mimer Gimel of Hanukkah. Yeah, but uh, there's, the source is not actually in there. That was just letting you know in the future, in case you ever look at it, that's what this topic was. Okay, so I'm starting down where I have the little pointer. It has the word Yavan as the end of the sentence before. He says, we have a Kabbalah. You know, I don't know how many people realize this. People love to make jokes about, like, all the machlokas. You know, there's, what, do you, what do you say, like, two rabbis, three opinions? Mm-hmm. My, you know, so we have a relative who's always joking like that. Um, but the truth is, it wasn't until quite late in the Second Temple period that you ever had a machlokas. Because even if people differed, ultimately it would always be brought up eventually to the Sanhedrin, and you get a psak. Meaning you go to a basin and you have a psak, and then the psak. The way it works in a basin, even now, if you have a basin on Dine Mamonos, you have three Dayanim. Okay, we don't say, let's say two of them come down with a certain conclusion, and the third one has a different conclusion. You always have to have an odd number. It's a good idea for boards, too. You always want an odd number. So let's say the third one doesn't, came to a different conclusion. We don't say, well, because there was a majority, so those two rabbis ruled one way, and the third one ruled another way. The Rav who paskin the third way also has to sign on the din of the majority. Okay? I'm not such an expert in these things, but I have a son who is. <laughs> okay? He can spell out his reasoning, how he got to a different conclusion, and then he has to come and explain why he is joining into their conclusion because he's outvoted. Okay? This is the case with halacha all the years. <laughs> you know, the famous case... And it must be very difficult. He has to figure out yeah. how he's going to agree with them. He has to agree with them in the end because the basin has paskined this. Therefore, this is the halacha in this case. I understand, but then he has to figure mm. out a way that he can mentally change. That's right. But you have to be able to do that. Yeah, it doesn't mean he throws away his opinion. It doesn't mean he has to throw away his opinion, but he has to be able to hold that one also. Okay? Because that's the way the basin has now paskined. So that's the halacha. That was the case with all halal. You know, there's, what is the, um, I think he mentions it over here, right? Was it Rabban Gamliel and Rabbi Yehuda? Is that who it was? With the, they had the big machlokas about when Yom Kippur was, when Rosh Hashanah was. And because it was machlokas when Rosh Hashanah was, you had a Yom, uh, machlokas when Yom Kippur was. And Rabban Gamliel was the head of the basin. And he said to Rabbi Yehuda, on Yom Kippur, according to your calculation, you need to show up at my house carrying a stick and a bag of money. 
Why? Because he could have hidden in his house and like quietly observed two days of Yom Kippur. You're not allowed to do that. On the other hand, then what you don't have is differences of opinion. Meaning you have differences of opinion, there's room for people to differ in opinion, but you don't have differences in halacha. Everyone holds the same way. Because however it gets poskined out is how it is. Okay. So the first time you have an actual machlokas in Din Torah that could not just be resolved through the vote was in the time of Yossi ben Yoezer and Yossi ben Yohanan, who lived in the time of the Yavanim. Okay, the question was, do you lean on an animal that you're bringing as a karban if it's on Yontif? He says, what is going on over here? We have this idea that Yavan is related to choshech, darkness. This is throughout, starts in the very beginning of Barashas, wherever, and also in the Brisbane Habasarim. There's also prophecy relating to the four galuyos. Choshech is always, always Yavan. Lahashkicham Torasecha, we say in Al-Hanisim, right? What did, what, did, uh, what did Haman come to do? Bikesh lahashmid laharagula abed. That was part. What did the Yavanim come to do? Lahashkicham Torasecha. To cause us to forget the Torah. Now, Rav Hutner is also making, not a play here, but he's pointing out that chashecha, darkness, and shechha, forgetting, are the same letters. Okay, it's the same letters of the word. Okay, so darkness and forgetting are the same concept. This was caused by, this is the cultural effect of Yavan seeking to cause us to forget Torah was that in that generation was the first time we had a reality of a machlokas and din Torah that could not just be resolved. <clears throat> no, you couldn't just say, well, what did our Rebbe's teach us? Because we forgot. <laughs> he says, this damage, so that you have a multiplicity of opinions and differences of shita, because people don't just remember what was done previously. Something got forgotten in the battle of Torah lasts until our days. This continues in a direct line. We are the direct intellectual descendants of Machlokas in Torah from the time of the Yavanim. Okay, but there's a deeper aspect to this than just the idea that in the days of the Yavanim, we started having loss of Torah, which caused differences of opinions and division of approaches. He says, sometimes we see a concept, he didn't make this concept up, of bitula shal Torah zehu kiyuma, that Letting go of Torah sustains Torah. Like, like what? Yashakol chacha sheshibarta. When Moshe dropped the luchos and allowed them to break, that's breaking Torah. How could you do that? He did it to sustain Torah. Because if we had actually received the contract in our hands, right, and we're doing a vodazara of the Egel, it's over. But if we haven't received it, you could always make a new contract. And say, oh, it got lost on the way. Whoops. Okay. 
to minimize it a little bit. <coughs> okay? The action of breaking the luchos is the same action that sustains the Torah through the fact of breaking it. Okay? This is not something to paskin lightly, obviously. We don't go around saying, oh, well, you break the Torah, that'll keep the Torah. Okay? But there, you should know there's such an idea. We don't consider that an amazing thing, but sometimes it is. Was that the only time? No. So the Chachamim say, if not for the fact that the luchos were broken, we would never have Torah that would be forgotten. In other words, the breaking of the luchos caused the ability for Torah to be broken. Right? Like the words flew up, right? Say that he dropped the luchos and the words flew up to heaven. The idea that the words could fly away and leave you with a blank slate. Okay? We say that the shivrei luchos, the broken pieces of the luchos, were saved in the, in the Kodesh HaKadoshim next to the luchos, the, the non-broken luchos. And that represents Talmidei Chachamim who have forgotten their Torah. The honor that we give them. Right? We don't lose our honor for somebody just because he forgot. So the Chachamim are saying two things then. One is, Yashakochacha Moshe, that you broke them. And the other statement is, <coughs> if you hadn't broken them, Torah could never be forgotten. So is, that, which, what, what, is it good or is it bad? Okay, can we go a few minutes over? I know we started a few minutes late. So, okay. So we learn from this a tremendous chidush that it is possible for Torah to multiply through having been forgotten. And let's use as our visual model broken luchos. They may be broken, they may be smaller, the words might be lost, but you got more pieces. There's more. You don't have one or two, you have 200 or 2,000. Okay? Break a piece of china, now you have 500 pieces of china. They may be imperfect, <laughs> okay? They may be smaller. They may not have the kind of overall wholeness of design that you had when you had one, but you have more. There's a kind of multiplying of Torah that can come about through the fact that Torah can be forgotten. So he gives a different example of this. Like no? Yes, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, sure. Of course. Sorry. Okay. So he gives another example of this. When Moshe Rabbeinu passed away, it's we learn. You usually come around and learn this in the beginning of Sefer Yehoshua that there were three hundred halachos that were forgotten during the mourning period for Moshe. You imagine what a tragedy. You no longer have a Moshe who could hear it straight from God to return it to you. Talk about forgetting. Three hundred halachos were forgotten. And Osniel ben Kenaz was able to restore them through pilpul, through reasoning, through very careful and deep analysis and reasoning. Osniel ben Kenaz was able to paskin back the 300 halachos that were forgotten. So here we have divrei Torah that are divrei Torah of pilpul, of, of logic and working out, right? Not hearing it straight from God. Following, uh, there's, there's principles, you know, there's 13 principles of darshaning. You can't just make up halacha, right? These 300 halachos then are there only through virtue of the fact that they were forgotten. Uh, because they were forgotten, so now he has to work them out through pilpul. Okay. These are divrei Torah that multiplied 
through the fact that Torah was forgotten. He says every machlokas in Torah, what does that do? It lands you with two or more approaches in Torah. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a machlokas. Okay, so lechalek is to divide up. Now you have two or more approaches in a place, and why do you have them? Because nobody can remember what was the halacha originally. We, we don't know what Hashem told Moshe. We, we don't remember how it was done 3,000 years ago. Do we lean on the animal? Do we not lean on the animal? Do you carry the knife? Do you not carry the knife? Okay. And so even though Chazal say, you can have a machlokas where these say that it's tahor, it's kosher. These say it's not kosher. And these say it's puzzle, these say it's kosher. These say you're free of an obligation. These say you're obligated. Okay, you can have more <laughs> machlokas that, that are incompatible results. These and these are the words of the living God. So what you actually have is a multiplying of Torah through the forgetting of Torah. So this chidosh is even more striking when we think of the fact that Torah Shabbat Peh, right? That's what Lisa said about the, about the Gemara, right? This is like the underlying concept of the whole Torah Shabbat Peh. Okay, I'm going to skip now to point number eight. So you're saying also that that didn't exist. It didn't exist because you could have different... First of all, most of the time, the way you pass them was, do you have a Masora? You go back and you find out, like, what was done before. So it was really... And if they had a difference of opinion... He says the first Machlokas is in the days of Yossi ben Yoazer and Yossi ben Yochanan. Okay, point number hey. And he's quoting here. I put it over here. It's actually number hey also. Okay, this is a Pasuk in Tavar. Um, no, it's not. Sorry. It's number Zion. Al Ken Yeyamer, Besefer Milchamos Hashem, Es Vahev Besufa, Ves Nechalim Arnon. It's theoretically the Pshat is its names of places, Vahev or Yahev and Sufa and Nechalim Arnon. But the Gemara in Kedushin says, Amar Rabbi Chia Baraba. What do you mean it says in the book of the wars of God, the battles of God? Amar Rabbi Chia Baraba, Rabbi Chia Baraba taught, Afilu Ha'av Uvno. Even a father and a son, Haravatamino, Vitamido, a Rebbe and his student, Shaoskin Batora, Bishar Echad Nasim Oivim, Zeze, if they're busy learning Torah, so what do you see? You see they look like they're enemies. They're shouting at each other, they're yelling at each other, they're contradicting each other. Two people who love each other. But they don't leave Anshinasim Oavim Zeze till they love each other. As we learn from the Pasuk, Es vahev besufa. <laughs> vahev related to the word ahava. Besufa at the end. Altakri besufa el besofa. In its end. Okay? It says about the, in, the, in the book of the battles of God, the wars of God, meaning the Melchama of Torah, that there will always be love at the end. That's how he's homiletically interpreting the verse. Okay? And that's how Rashi explains it. All right, so back to the Pachat Yitzchak. So he quotes this. Perishu chachamim afilu av uvno rav talmido nasim sonim zelazev enam zazim isham atzin asim ovim zelazev. 
He says, at first glance, it seems like what this is coming to tell us is how great the power of love is in Torah, that it can connect people through their learning even though really they were hating each other. So really they get so angry while they're learning that they would hate each other, but the power of Torah to bring about love bonds them together. He said, but that's not really the main, it's sort of like in, despite the hatred that they feel for each other during the machlokas. In the end, the love will come and subdue them. But he says, why don't we think about this in terms of what we just learned? That what there is here is a process of new creation of Torah. There's a multiplying of Torah that happens when there's a milchama of Torah. When you have two people taking two different sides and two opinions, l'shem shemaim, and for the sake of learning Torah. So what you have is a creative act here that is in addition to just learning Torah, right? If they're learning together and agreeing, what does that mean? Okay, we agree, we're going on, we agree. Yes, we agree, yeah, that's what it means. Okay, go on. And then all of a sudden you get saying, no, that's not what it means. No, that is what it means. It's not what it means. It is what it means. Now you disagree. So it's not that the love comes in spite of the argument that they have. He's saying, the argument causes an increase of love. The machlokas in Torah brings about an increase of love from what was before. It's an outcome of it in the same way that the Torah itself increases and grows from its for being forgotten. He says this is a much higher level because they are now partners in the creation. They're co-parents in the creation of a new understanding of Torah. And these two sides in halacha become partners in a new approach to halacha, and in this way you have an increase of love between them. So we're going to have to kind of wind up here. I'd like a, I have another point that I'll add. I'll bring it at the end. Let's do that. That's still the case. He said, he's talking about now. He's talking about now. Okay. Mm -hmm. He says, so let's go back to the beginning of what we were talking about. There's an existence of machlokas and divrei Torah that continues until our days and that was born in the darkness of Yavan, the darkness forgetfulness of Yavan. But we, what we need to know is that the salvation that we experienced on Hanukkah through the Hashmonaim is a victory over the darkness of Yavan. And the nature of the victory over the darkness of Yavan is the taking of light from in the midst of the darkness itself. Not a battling back of darkness, but reaching into darkness and being able to find the light and pull it out. This is different, right? That's reaching into what is forgotten and being able to pull out the Torah from it reaching into a battle in Torah where there's a lack of understanding and come to an understanding that's more solid, whether it's one or two, whether you agree or not at the end, okay? This is reaching into the battle and pulling out the love. Building something from the, building light from the dark is the victory over Yavan. And that is a fight that goes on until today. He says, it's true in other goloses, Bavel and Madai, you had a golos and then you have a geula that cures it. 
He says, with Yavan, what we had was a golos, and then we had a taking from the sickness, from the golos itself, from the sickness we created the cure. Right? It's like when they take the, take the spider venom or the snake venom and they create the antivenom. Right? Right. Or take a virus and weaken it and now you use it to strengthen yourself against it. It's, it's where the cure is coming from what appeared to be the illness itself. Okay? And that is why we say, when the Malchus Yavan Harasha came on the Jewish people, to cause them to forget the Torah. And it was what they caused that actually opened up the new wellsprings of Torah that only begin from the days of the Yavanim. From, if you look back before the Yavanim, you don't have new Torah. You have Mesorah. You have passing down. You go forward from the Yavanim, and you have the Mishnah. You have the Gemara. You have this multiplying, multiplying, multiplying of new Torah. Only it's new because we know less, not because we know more. But this is where it comes from. Hanukkah is then the final leg in the edifice to take us through all the generations. It's the last Chag that's established because it's the last missing piece of what we need to get through all the generations is to get through the darkness, to get through the gullus, and from that process itself to be able to build something out of it. This is the idea of light and dark, a light that is perfect at the beginning and Hashem stashes it away and says there's going to be darkness and light and we're going to pull that out and make light from it. Okay, I'm going to stop over here. <laughs> Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> and now I'm going to just give like two footnotes. Okay, I want to... Uh, they're because they're footnotes. They're my, I'm I'm adding it. Sorry, didn't mean to like put you under pressure. Okay. Yeah, I know you do. Sorry, we'll send it to you. Okay. So here's the two footnotes. One is about this idea of the hate and the love, the sinna and the ava. I just want to point out a way of understanding it that's helpful also to this idea of arguing in Torah. Um, the shla in parshas vayetze, I think when it talks about Leah, that Leah felt hated, right? Okay, so what is this about? So he gives a definition for hatred, for sinna, that I thought was very, very helpful. He says, sinna is a rihuk, it's a distance that's created by a lack of appreciation or lack of being able to see the inner value of the other person. It's the distance. Okay, it doesn't have to be what, what we say is hatred, right, in English. It's kind of like ignoring, though. It could be from ignorance. It could be from ignoring. Right. It could be looking at something else. It could be they're showing you something that so distracts you, you don't, look, you don't see what's beyond. So when a person feels not understood, even if the other person's been nice to them, right, how does that feel to feel not understood? It feels like they don't love me. Right. There's something missing if the person's not seeing you, right? Ahava is the opposite. That's what Rabbi Goldberg talked about that quite a lot about bracha a couple years ago, right? This idea when you see the value in the other person, who they really are and what they contribute, what that comes out as is ahava, love. That's a closeness that comes from seeing it. So the battle, the idea that two people who are fighting in Torah, that the Chazal would say they hate each other at the beginning and at the end they love each other, it doesn't mean they, they don't like each other, right? When they're fighting, and they're, it means I don't see the value in what you're telling me. There's a distance created between us because you're telling me something and I do not see the value in it. And there's an ava that comes that I do see the value in it even if I didn't agree with you at the end. 
right? That comes down to this idea of the Beisden. That's why it's kind of an important footnote, right? In order to be a member of the high Sanhedrin, a person had to be able to, I forget how many, they had to be able to give like hundreds of reasons why a Tomei Sheretz is really Tahor. That makes no sense, it's Tomei. Finished, Torah says Tomei, right? You had to be flexible enough in your thinking to be able to take something that you know for a fact is one thing and be able to understand a different way of looking at it. Oh, Doesn't mean you change what you're saying. You, you have to be able to do that without losing what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. That's not so easy. Okay, so if you're that kind of person, then when the psaac goes against you and the majority rules differently, you are able to, to understand how they got to that place in halacha, even if you come to a different conclusion. Mm-hmm. But you can understand how they got to that place in halacha. You might be really furious and frustrated that they didn't agree with you, but you can understand it. You could be okay. That's Ava. Mm-hmm. That's Ava that comes through the process of fighting over Torah and clarifying to each other. Okay? That was the first footnote. Through we'll see if I can see my second side. footnote. Yeah. Yeah. Through being able to understand the value of the yeah, other right. side. Your okay. Oh, Rabbi Leff pointed out, and this has to do with Alhanisim. I heard in a recording from Rabbi Leff, he said, You see that the, if you look at Alhanisim, they parallel, Purim and Hanukkah parallel each other. So you have the, the people involved and the time and the place. But with Haman on Purim, it says, Bikesh, he sought lehashmid laharogul abedes kol hayyudim, to destroy the Jews. With the Yevonim, it doesn't say bikshu lehashkicham torasecha. It just says they came lehashkicham torasecha, to cause us to forget Torah. It doesn't say they came seeking to, right? Haman sought to do it, and he did not succeed. It doesn't say they sought to do it. It said they came to do it. Mm-hmm. So I'm pointing that out in light of this Pachat Yitzchak, meaning they came to do it and, and they did do it. It's not that there was no effect. There was an effect. And nonetheless, out of that, out of that damage came the holiday of Hanukkah and came the victory of the Hashmonaim that comes out. That's what he says. It's still going on. To me, it's so interesting that there's that some of the people who celebrate Hanukkah, it's just sort of Are ironic. the greatest Hellenists, right? I mean, come on. It's ironic. They're celebrating Sorry. the Orthodox. Well, they're not the greatest Hellenists. That's the point. No, I mean, but, like, yeah, just, it's pretty so, scary. It's, that's we a big part of it. People who are, who are against, like, from Jews, and, but they still, like, are... They're lighting the menorah. Exactly. They're, they're, like, they have no idea all, they're keeping tradition. They're, they're just doing like, tradition. They just want to have I know, but, really, they're really... <laughs> oh, there's a lot of different yeah, people. Right? Yeah. I mean, really, the bottom line they're is... Like, they're telling us as they say, like because, because, because way, the, ha- the, think of, the secular holidays, the Christian holidays, are right. so big that they need something for themselves. Right. I think that's probably yeah. part of it. But like, you, I don't know, you read I don't about all these different... You know, what was it, like, on the H.com, they were talking about some actress who has, like, the Christmas tree and the... Nora and her house and this and that. It's like the, all the Hellenists. It's like the same kind of thing, though. Like, I don't know, in my opinion, that's how I see it. I see it as, like, trying so hard to be the guy in, but then also, yeah, like, to hold some of this. But we're Jews that can be proud. And they say that the like, Jews in the time of the Misyavnim, right, of, of the Yavanim, the Misyavnim in the time of the Yavanim, wanted so badly to look like non-Jews. It wasn't right. that they were trying to even celebrate something Jewish. 
It was beyond that, right? They would have such painful surgery to reverse a bris milah that some people would die from the pain. It's like fun. Yes, it's like well, fun. I think that's like half the no yeah, sounds today, too. I'm sorry, but like I think there's a big, I think there's a lot of it. I think there is this sense. So he says that's why this is the last of the holidays, because it's the one that has to take us through all the way to the end, which is that idea of the light, that then there's the darkness and the light, and that's going to take you through till the end, and then translated into 70 different languages. More than a correlation. So the multiplicity... First of all, that's under the Yavani culture. That was part of the Yavani culture. Mm -hmm. And in Teves, right, we have Asaraba Teves, which is coming up very soon. But it actually was three days of fasting. We only fast one day because, like, you know, it's only by day, and it's, like, one of the shortest days of the year. But we still only fast one day. But really, it's the 8th, 9th, and 10th of Teves. Why? Because when they translated the Torah into Greek... Three days of darkness settled on the world. This is the, the deepening of the darkness. It's tremendous. But what I'm saying is, in a certain sense, like having translated it into a different language, yeah. and then you're saying, having sort of broken, broken the Torah, how it now has multiplied it. It like had a boomerang effect, is what I'm saying. Like in a certain respect. It could be. I'd be afraid to say that myself. <laughs> Just because I'll say... It was so bad, so then you say, like, so has good come out of it? Because now we have other translations. There seems to be something specific about Greek also and the purpose of it. Thank you. Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah. You're so nice. Thank you. Have so much